Hi everyone, Tia here from the I Read Comic Books podcast. This bonus mini-sode you're about to listen to is the first in a new series I'm hosting called This Is Not An Interview, in which I chat with some of my favorite people in comics about everything, nothing, and also maybe sometimes comics. It's a more casual conversation than a typical interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and one more thing, this is going to be a regular every other monthly mini-sode series. You'll hear me call it monthly in the show, but that's just because I hecked that bit up. Sorry. Okay, thanks for listening. Let's do this. This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I'm Tia, your host for a new monthly bonus mini-sode series, This Is Not an Interview. My first guest is one of my favorite people in comics. He writes all the things, including a little book I may have mentioned once or twice on the show and everywhere, The Wicked and the Divine. Welcome back to the show, Kieran Gillen. Hello. Uh, thank you very much for having me here, too. So I'm saying welcome back because um, attempts have been made and <laughs> the gremlins in the computer decided to eat our recordings, but it was a really good episode. Mm, you should have been there. It was I know. Hell, hell of yeah. a thing, listener. So I've just, re- I've just read Jane Eyre, so I'm basically I'm, everything I'm currently doing is basically in Charlotte Bronte's voice. Oh, Isn't good. Like, read it. We recorded it and then <laughs> deleted it. Uh, that, that's our entire approach now. Anyway. I am definitely going to become Mr. Rochester's wife in the attic, like, pretty soon. <laughs> we all get there. You know, it's like, it's, it's like she's kind of goals in that way. You, know? you can work on it too. Yeah. So the best thing is that the, this is for Spangly New Thing, the book, my book, which isn't announcing it in the Jexpo at the moment. No, uh, which is going on right now. Yeah, there's completely a heavy Bronte influence to it. So I'm reading it specifically for work, which is, I don't know, I didn't enjoy it at all. It's solely for solely for the reader's pleasure. Yeah, sorry, uh, listen, we're also watching the image expert at one corner. So we're abstractly here to talk about something. But at the same time, <laughs> We'll be able to occasionally yelp. We go, oh my God, did you see that? Like that. Hey, look, this is not an interview. We're just chatting. We can talk about whatever we want and they can fight us if they don't like it. Mm. We're not getting paid. <laughs> okay, so we were going to talk about and perhaps still should because it's a great book. Four Kids Walk Into a Bank by Matt Rosenberg and Tyler Bus. Yes, we were. I mean, cause the, I mean the idea after we lost this great recording... We decided that we should talk about something limited so we don't talk for two hours again. Right. <laughs> uh, we, how, why did we end up suggesting four kids? I don't know. I think you suggested it. Yeah, that sounds like the sort of thing I do. I, I would have to actually Google and research. But as we said, we're not being paid for it. Um, four <laughs> kids is, I think it's just one of those situations where we say, okay, what's a book we both read and we both loved? And in yeah. my case, I've got a quote on the back. Uh, That's right. I said, the quote, a clear throat. I better not clear throat because it would be flammy and disgusting. Um, Imagine Tarantino does Goonies, full stop, an excellent full stop. And it's a pretty good quote still. In that at least it kind of captures what the book is to some degree. You um, know, of course, when I gave the quote, it was for the first issue. So I hadn't actually read the whole book until relatively <laughs> recently. So I'm glad it's, it turned out to be a good book too, uh, as opposed to just the first issue. <laughs> and also, you were, I mean, you were pretty spot on with that with mm. that description i i would tell people wes anderson does guy ritchie no that's, that that works too yeah, yeah. so you it's, know. it's funny because you say that i mean both of us have done a, that kind of reference and it's it's actual tarantino thing is it's quite you know it's original you know what i mean is what's what's appealing about the book to me is like almost every panel is for god's sake look at me <laughs> it's like um i mean that's what i love most about like matthew's writing it's also i've no idea how matthew and i completely forgot the artist's name 
Tyler Bass. Tyler, yes, Tyler. I've no idea actually how they actually work together to create the actual paneling and that kind of choices. But in terms of like the amount of ideas per square inch, it's like so up on everything else. It's like so many books are like, I'm just doing a comic. And then it's like, no, we're going to do a comic and we're going to like, I'm just looking at a random page and it's kind of like an Archie take on a comedy sequence. Then it's a page previously, it does like nine panel grids, like a kind of um, Tom Taylor, not Tom Taylor, the other, the other Tom, uh, Tom King. Uh, you know, like, and then previous pages doing like super deformed, going to a kind of um, uh, almost illustrations for four panels. Like the idea of like uh, when he's doing this entire section, which is basically a science experiment, then it cuts back to this the, the hyperkuto vision, and then it does these kind of. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of giving the readers a big wide approach, and I'm talking a lot. But then it does this kind of like what for me is the major mode, which is the entirely back flat half the panel wasted. You know, in a traditional comic, it's like you have this full view of a character and you see about all the heads about above them. So it's a kind of like, um, that, I've completely forgot the director's name, but it's like incredibly um, democratic. As in like, it's like this, this sense of just sitting back and seeing these kind of cut out characters. And of course, this actually is so understated. It's such an anti-Kirby. It's completely the anti the foreshadowing. There's no sense of dynam- dynamism. It's just showing these things. And you cut down to just the iconic shapes. And it kind of suddenly makes it feel like like a kid's drawing. So it's not in a kid's drawing anyway at all. There's the idea there's a certain level of observing and ironic distance and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I've read the book and I like it. Tina, <laughs> what did you make of it? Okay, so just um, so that I don't get angry tweets, not that I care because I'm kind of a jerk about it, but like full spoilers moving forward Mm. so if you like haven't read it and you're you know sensitive about that sort of thing fix your life and go read the book and then come back and finish listening i would say is good advice yes Um, it's good but i've probably forgotten all the plots so it's like i'm gonna be vague (laughs) and i'm gonna talk about panel shapes yeah no Uh, yeah you can ruin people's fun cool so like the basic premise is there's these kids and one of them finds out her dad is involved with these like Nazi bank robbers and she doesn't want her dad to get in trouble. So the kids decide they're going to rob the bank instead, which is like kid logic. Kids are dumb. I don't know. seems legit. And so they, they actually are pretty smart kids um, except for the whole robbing a bank part. And um, not many people who make comics legitimately make me feel like I got punched in the face by the end of their books. You're one of those people for sure. Um, Al Ewing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. Like I'll tear up if I look at Agent of Asgard. So thanks Al Ewing. And um, this one, like the ending actually, it was like all a super fun caper with the kids, but then it gets really bleak at the end kind of. Yeah, well, why, why the hell did you have to creep up with these emotions on us? I know, right? um, Yeah. So the way it always makes, if I even see the spine of, um, I kill giants. I get a bit, bit weepy. Like so, if I still just see, like literally, it's on my bookshelf, and I, I glance at it, and I kind of that, that that just gets to me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's you want, sorry, you were gonna say the ending, how it creeps up on you. Oh, um, so because full spoilers, what like one of the kids accidentally gets shot, which I don't know, especially like looking back at it recently, a lot of kids are getting shot around here, and um, it just it really pulls it into like a very stark sort of there's I I get I get a sense of dread I get a sense of like this this happens like Mm. kids get shot Matthew's a really interesting political writer you know what I mean political in the in that oh god I'm about to become like that that writer but you know the the whole is it political derived from the Greek word from city the polis 
you know <laughs> uh, and so principle of the city as in the idea that this is these are the society we live in so all writing is political as in because it involves people and how we organize ourselves mm-hmm. and uh but like, you know and matthew is specifically that you know so the way he set, you know he sets up these kids the way they live and i'm sure i'm looking at the actual bit where he gets shot it's played as a comedy except it's not the, the actual gunshot wound is yeah you know, i mentioned those large panels yeah. If there's a bit where they're tumbling and it's almost like sketch criminals for like three panels. And there's a punchline, you know, remember under no under almost no circumstances it's okay to shoot a little kid. Next panel is this about slightly over two thirds about between a third and two thirds of a page. And the kid's like no more than two centimetres. And the guy who shot him is also like two centimetres to his left. And the rest of the space is pretty much blank. About to the right you've got some more people just watching. And it's incredibly austere. Is that the one with the painting in the middle? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I have actually some thoughts about that painting, which oh, is... Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even look at that. You're right. That's interesting. What is yeah, it? Yeah, it's George Bellows' Stag at Sharky's uh, from 1909. It's at the Cleveland Art Museum. And as a disgraced American art historian, mm. my time has come. <laughs> escaped. Escaped. Uh, you know, you, you're like on the run. You're, I... rent- you're like Afra. you know what actually like i so am like afra except i didn't really steal my advisor's research because well she's not listening so i can just say i didn't find it that interesting i thought mine was better but um you know but yeah like i should totally make people just call me dr tia anyway (laughs) but so okay so that there's three things about that painting because like someone had to choose that specific painting. They could have put any painting there. And so there's three things that strike me as important about that painting. One is that at the time, uh, boxing matches like that were illegal in New York unless they took place at a private club. And so if a non-member of the club was participating in the fight, he was called a stag. So this is a fight with someone who is an outsider, not a member of the club. Okay, like the kids are outsiders they're not really criminals and then second um you know that if you look at the actual painting it might be too pixelated in the in the comic but the crowd is actually rendered really uh clearly and there's someone in the crowd who's looking back at the viewer so it makes you kind of part of the crowd you're like in the next row I'm complicit. Um, yeah, you're complicit. You're there. You're the audience to this fight. And then the last thing that's interesting is that the moment in the fight is—it's it, not a knockout punch, right? Like they're—they're they're in the middle of this of the sort of battle that you can't tell what the outcome is going to be in the scene that Bellows chose to paint, which is also kind of true of that gunshot moment, like. What's going to yeah, happen yeah, yeah. to the kid? I don't know. Like, this is me being an art historian nerd. Especially the idea of us as audiences. Like, the fact that I would have to get... I was looking around for a tape measure because I wanted to start measuring panels. Yeah. Is, this is literally the, what Kieran does on a Friday, on a Wednesday night. He <laughs> sits at home measuring panels. Um, I think the dimensions are the same. As in the panel, the panel that we're in is, like, exactly the same shape as the panel that's behind them. And, of course... And the fact this is this is the punchline for all the... Um, the, you know, I've mentioned these kind of these enormous blank space panels before. This is the, the ultimate, such a small detail. Like the actual painting is as big as them. It's slightly bit, slightly smaller, but basically it's the same size. It's and such like, an iconic American painting. If if you're an American art history nerd, you're like, I know what that's doing. It's like really, I mean, that's just fast. I mean, of course, over the page, when you get when a page shoots the cop, um, you get the completely different. You get the kind of 
Um, who would who would who does that remind me of? Uh, was it? I can never pronounce him. Batman Year One guy. A bit like that. The enormous lettering with him being the guy being blown off, and that's like a, a classic piece of comic book dynamism. We've got the letters, and you've got this like instead of like this observational, this deliberately incredibly neutral. There's a thing I do. I write a comic called Uber Listener, and one of my standard things, and I do it in Wikdiv a little, but Uber is the primary device. I use three panel tiers with set camera angle, and I do just sitting there. The reader sits and watch something happen, and it's basically normally something horrible. Uh, but it's also like quite often just the idea that we are like a shitty camera crew watching. Like there's no moving camera, you're just sitting in. So the idea of like having a boring angle mm-hmm. reduces dynamism and tries to like get the best similitude. The idea of holding the moment and just that was that's the kind of thing with Uber. Uber is quite deliberately boring, as in boring as an aesthetic. You know, because the yeah, melodrama is not really the point of it. And the same as this, this this moment where and you know they've undercut it and they play it out, and then they. They push it up and they go for something that's much more dynamic, something that's much more traditional classic comic book. I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. I what I when I try to describe that, I think I I say something's aestheticized or not aestheticized. So yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. How it goes up and down the the, the uh, this is I tell you the thing that I don't know about you with Grumio's tier. This is one of the few books I've read that felt uh, there's a lot of books, not a lot. Some books have tried to be post Hawkeye. And this is one of the few I think has at least in some way tried to be post-sex criminals. Hmm. It's obviously it's working with a completely different emotional train, and there's a little bit of. I mean, I look again. There's more Hawkeye to it. Yeah. But the idea of like you can the level of irony is such a loaded word in that kind of it's, it's, it's been worn thin. But the idea of the, how you actually can use irony as, a, as an effect uh, to get something that's much more you know as a device to heighten emotions. It's like a masterclass. And that's something that, you know, Matthew's a smart writer. That's why I'm wondering about how him and Tyler works in terms of, like, they'd re- like their previous work they did together. Uh, I've forgot his name for a second. What's it called? Oh. That were... Not We Can Never Go Home? Yeah, We Can Never Go Home. Was that them? Was that Tyler as well? I don't think it was the... No, I don't think it was Tyler. No, I'm, I'm wrong. But... <laughs> <laughs> but he's also good. But, yeah, I mean, like... This idea of like, I mean, Matthew's a, that Matthew is at least a script he writes a comic purist scripts. You know, like he's um, he's when I say comic purist, I mean he's somebody who's interested in the medium mm-hmm. and very specifically avoiding creating the medium. I know I, I find him in like really very genuinely one of the most interesting and awkward writers. As in, I find his awkwardness interesting. Well, there's uh, some. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I stopped. Oh, okay. on. Uh, there, there are some pages where they do like the big splash diagrammy type thing that gives me a lot of Young Avengers feelings. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, that's, that's what I think. I mean, it's like, I think he might. He's all. There's definitely bits I can see. I wouldn't say influenced by me and Jamie, but like coming from a similar place. And plus, there are all certainly creators I would completely say, right? Like, me and Jamie have influenced. Well, <laughs> uh, you're actually, kind of a big it. deal. Thank you very much. <laughs> famously a big deal. No, I said, like, I would say that. And I wouldn't, actually, I'm lying. I wouldn't say that. I would say that to you in a pub, in a kind of like, I see what they're doing. As opposed to when I read Matt stuff, no, I don't think. I think Matt's coming from a similar place. Uh, you know what I mean? As in, like, I feel, you know, as in somebody is part of the conversation rather than just aping the conversation. This actually, I feel like we talked about this in the in the Lost Gillen tapes, the idea of influence versus uh, inspiration. Mm. Does that, we did talk about that. I think we talked about it a lot, though. It's like That's two true. hours of deleted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um yeah, I mean, but I think that's a real, it's a really interesting, because the thing that four kids have gets me is just the confidence. It's the idea of, I can't believe a Marvel or a DC editor wouldn't pick it up and go, oh yeah, we need to give this guy work. I know, right? 
you know, it's like kind of it's like no, no, he's clearly ready. He knows what he wants to do the medium. Um, he, he's working in a variety of modes. You know, and you can sort of tell by the work that Matthew's got, and the fact that this is crime with a quirky edge and also emotional heart. A lot of the work he's got has kind of come from that, and I'm not sure if it's because he's pitching it or because people are approaching him because of it. It's like, um, and it's also so personal. I'm, okay, I'm lying. I don't, I've never talked to Ma- Matthew about this. Um, Matthew but it seems Collis. personal. Yeah, yeah, we should we should phone him. <laughs> yeah. I, feel bad I don't I don't know Tyler as well. I think, but I do know you know Matthew obviously. Um, yeah, I don't. I think I might have met him at a convention or something, but not beyond just saying, "Hey, I love your book." Oh, one other thing. So if we're talking about references and influences and things in the in the very last couple of pages, when Paige gets out of jail, what T-shirt is she wearing? Oh, goth one. <laughs> Let me check. Oh, my God. What is that? It's um, it's uh, the sky's my... gone out. Uh... So so my theory is that you're supposed to put on all we ever wanted was everything as you read the last pages. I can see that. Yeah, I do like the black page with later on, which is um, right. Yeah, and the, the fake ending and the I do like the the not easy easy ending. As in, you know, you completely could have just ended it with just kids and left it open. Right. I think you know he chose to resolve in a different way, which I find that's all. You know, that's kind of it's like where do you choose to end the story? Says so everything about the story. And it's like um, kind of bleak. Yeah, and it's you know, it's, it's sad. I mean, yeah. it's sad in a in a like a meaningful adult ways and like oh yeah and they went to prison you know (laughs) yeah and so i feel like uh, the tone of the whole book before that is is very cute and you know you get all the like stranger things nostalgia feels if that's your deal and um you know the opening of all of the all of the issues where the kids are talking in their like nerdy avatars. There's the D and D one and then they have their video games and their RC toys. And um, the last one is, I don't know, just their like their dolls, their toys, their analog toys. (laughs) Um, And so the, everything leading up to that is the like fun, grand, dangerous kid adventure, you know, uh, which is like exhilarating and everything's gonna be fine because that's the that's how those stories end yeah i mean even up to, up to the point where he's about, uh, the cast is about to get shot because he, he's the slightly annoying character he you is. know he's like he's it's like I'm, I'm trying to work out the archetype if people haven't read the book um he, he the, the cliche is he's slightly fatter than they are like that, that <laughs> yeah. that's the sort of thing i would pick up on in terms of like i know he's leading into archetypes but like that that he's the archetypal that kid, and it's it's a comedy scene. He's wearing fucking um, breeze blocks on his feet, wearing a Batman outfit, and he jumps the guy <laughs> from behind. And it's a stupid wrestling. It's like wrestle, 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 and it's you know it's it's dumb. You know, it's delib- you know, I say I mean dumb in that it's it's the you know if you see this in the movie, it's like Home Alone. So right. the kid just jumps on the back and he's wearing a costume. He's you know it's probably a funny soundtrack, and then he just gets shot through the gut. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like I think it's, I, I think we're in, we're in danger of like over overwhelming the back tier. Do you think we're like over concentrating the back end because it's also the journey? <laughs> A bit, maybe. Um, I'm I don't know. I I told you I'm bad. I'm bad at talking about the plot. I mostly just want to talk about like the cool design and aesthetic and art and all of that sort of thing. And you're, you're the writer. Oh no, that, that's what I mean. I'm agreeing with that, but basically, uh, the fact we're doing the kind of the awful, as in my, how they made us cry at you know the end. Yeah. We're like the, the really. I'm just literally every 
the quote exaggerate every page they're, they're doing something clever no it's so good yeah i mean so, i've just opened literally i've opened the open around the would you have it with you um digital uh it's like if you open a random page it's like the page goes now burger and then we suddenly cut to like looks like about 20th of the page panels oh like, yeah some, yeah <laughs> the, the preferred tool of the unrepentantly obnoxious as in a tiny bit of um you know a close-up of a catapult a, a close-up of a tiny toy from they've got from the D game uh labeled the son of groin the uh, groin the most then another close-up of the eye uh, the eye of a grown-ass man who punches little girls. But the fourth panel in the row is just the letters GAH and enormous letters. The next panel, you actually pull back out and you see the fact they're just, you know, the, the guy's on the floor. So by implica- obviously by implication, they're just, like one of the kids has just shot him. I love that, though. I mean, it forces you to read it with such a fast pace that you, and you can almost picture what that would be like in a in a film with like the quick cuts in it. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. The, it's so snappy. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Um, so, did you ever have any sort of dangerous ad- childhood adventures that, like, I mean, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not bank robbing? Clearly, you lived through them. If you did, uh, well, if I, I can't possibly tell, my my danger, my dangerous childhood in Stafford, where I would, uh, of course, um, <laughs> let me think. I was a weirdly nice kid, like. Um, you, I think back to my childhood, and I, my main thing is, I always think about why wasn't I bullied more? And I can't mm-hmm. quite work out why I never attracted bullies' attention. Because but- uh, I was literally lived inside of my own head. I was like, um, but I was like, it's a weirdly aggressive geek. In t- when I mean aggressive in terms of like shameless. Yeah. Like I was like, I was incredibly out. Like they um, couldn't, like how can they bully you about that if you were, you'd just be like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Jedi are amazing. Don't you understand? Exactly. Um, you know. <laughs> no, oh, no, I yeah, what same. No, never. I I was not I was not bullied. Um, in fact, the the closest thing ever came to bullying me was uh, they tried. There was this like petition that they passed around saying that I was a witch and I should not be allowed at school because I was a witch. Well, that, to be fair, that is true. I know exactly. <laughs> I would understand that worry. Yeah. Um, no. I got, I don't know. It's like the new thing I'm working on, at least is some degree mining my teenage stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least some of the I've had sentient have to tear, tear apart and try to work out what was really going on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, some of the stuff is just not, like, my God, that, that, was a, that was a bad young person thing to do. But oh, like, yeah. Like, how was time, I not kidnapped and murdered? Yes. This is foolish and stupid. And also ways you, like, before had poor emotional competence, ways I'd hurt people. Um, oh, yeah. And it, uh... like, as in, like, I guess, okay, plus, I'm more, I can certainly remember my, um, it's, I remember people, it's like, what, how awful shit people are going around, people are around, going around with me, in terms of that thing. So I think literally anything really genuinely terrible I did as a teenager, which was illegal, and could possibly make an interesting novel. <laughs> I don't Probably think... not sufficient. Yeah. I didn't shoot anyone. We know going, it's harder in the UK, I though. didn't shoot anyone, yeah. I mean, I... I, I live in Gun Central, but um, I, I'm good at I'm a good shot if I have to. But like, really? yeah, my, my brother was a shooting instructor. He was in the Marines. So. That's good. I, was like, that, that's it. I always try to remember all my friends who their skills. Yeah. It, it's, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I know who to call. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm pretty far away. But if it's like at a con or something, you know. It's like in every town I need like, my crew. It's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> at Christmas for a few years, I, I used to run a role playing game. Where my, where everyone, you know, with that kind of period at university, they come back for Christmas to family, that kind of thing. And I, anyone who's in town, I ran an RPG for, and it was normally a you play yourself game. 
Mm-hmm. So you translate your, you know, you translate your character, your real life abilities into the game, and then I throw them for a zombie apocalypse. Uh, which led to the one thing about playing my bro- my brother was an ordained Catholic uh, lay person, which means he can bless holy water. Ooh, uh, handy. So in a moment, like, oh, yeah, he genuinely handy in a zombie apocalypse. So that kind of a uh, thing was useful. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, no, I actually have always been like very bitter. Um, ever since I saw the professional that I wasn't some sort of like child spy or, or assassin of some kind. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm genuinely not surprised by any of this. This is like, <laughs> yes, yes, that, that sounds like Tia's origin. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still waiting, still waiting for the red room to give me a call. <laughs> Are you aware? Of, it's, it's, it's the ballet training. So you went to do the ballet and you hope you were yeah. picked up to be an assassin. Makes you know, so much more sense. Uh, Are you aware of the, um, I'm not sure why I'm doing an RPG focus. Are you aware of the game uh, Tales from the Loop? No. Tales from the Loop, uh, listeners may be interested in this, is an RPG that came out last year or the year before. Uh, and it's based around there's an artist whose name I forget who does this. You've almost certainly seen them forwarded on the internet. These hyper real portraits of like an imaginary 1980s. So it's like kids playing in a, in a field in Norway and there's a giant robot in the background and they're not really noticing it. Okay, yes, that um, sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. Matthew has just gone on stage. Is Matthew announcing a book? <gasps> this is amazingly timed. <laughs> okay, hold. Hold. I'll come back to Tales of the Loop because it is genuinely relevant. Uh, Rosenberg and Boss, they look happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosenberg sees dressed up like Dennis the Menace, the British Dennis the Menace, not the American one, uh, who is fascinating guy. Uh, I haven't got the sound on, so I've got no idea what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> Does there a cool like PowerPoint presentation going on, or like a trailer? No, he's just he's holding some milk. You know, Hershey's in a milk bottle. Oh yeah, you is don't like, know about that? Like... No, is that, that thing? His he's like obsessed with YooHoo, which oh. which I don't think is like legally milk. Okay, is, that, is it legally edible? It's shelf stable. Oak shelf stable. It will survive us all. <laughs> In the zombie apocalypse, find Matthew Rosenberg. He will have Yoohoo. That's, that sounds literally amazing. I'm going to keep one eye on it and see if he actually yeah. announces the book. Because this literally would be perfect. That's I was definitely thinking, why is it Matt doing it? I, I was thinking, why is it Matt doing an image book? And like for this conversation in that kind of like <laughs> Matt is completely somebody who should be doing an image book right now. Maybe but we like is. conjured this somehow. We have powers, Tia. We have powers. You know, that, that petition, I'm telling you. Uh, Tales of the Loop is um, it's basically about, and it, they, they took this game, this, these portraits, and made an entire RPG world around it. And the idea being like, a weird 1980s, and it basically is Stranger Things, the RPG. So you end up playing these archetypal kids, and you go for adventures in the countryside to work out what's going on. So it's like random, like I just did a streaming game, and the plot was basically weird toy, like a new form of Transformers was released, and they ended up being like evil killer Transformers, and we had to hunt down why these two trans- these toys were killing each other and taking over our parents' brains. You know what I mean? So that kind of plot, so it's, <laughs> it's that kind of, it, you, you know the archetypes, you know the, the, that sort of structure. But the thing about actually playing that game, this is kind of partially why Four Kids from the Bank works, as you mentioned earlier, is that you play these characters and immediately, A, they're really interesting archetypes to play. Like if you're playing like the computer geek or the, the popular girl or like the, the hick or all these different characters, you, you've, got, you've got an angle and you can attack it. And in other words, you can actually play them. And you, it's not like I'm playing a warrior. You know, but a warrior is a tedious archetype. You know, the, the, the you know the nerd with the heart of a gold or whatever. That's a fun, that's an archetype that actually you get. And at the same time, by playing like kids, they're all like eleven to sixteen, and no, sorry, eleven to fifteen, ten to fifteen. 
you can play with emotional hand, which is open in a way you can't necessarily when playing a 25 year old. Like there's there's awareness of like, because most people who've played the game have been that age. In fact, specifically it's mainly played by older people. You can at least tap back to, Oh no, I was, my emotions were near the surface and I acted in ways which was, you know, frankly stupid. Uh, But now, you know, because I was dealing with these emotions for the first time. And that's the kind of, that's A, the genius of the game and B, the genius of doing something like four kids walk into a bank. In that he's kind of like mashing, you know, they're mashing. They've, they've got the strength of that. Being able to look at these characters who don't self-censor as much. Mm-hmm. And this was for me, like when I started writing Kid, uh, Kid Loki, that was kind of a breakthrough. Um, in that my characters are cold. And most of my characters are about like how they hide their emotions and they don't express stuff. You know, and specifically it's about the mask and how they are censoring and they don't let stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they let it out, it's a big deal. Which of course makes it kind of hard for a lot of people to care. Um Whilst Kid Loki was this very weird thing for me because it was like the fact he is 13 means, oh yeah, he's still a genius. He's still trying to manipulate people and he's brilliant. Uh, but my God, he's very upset about his dog. Or like occasionally, you know, the, the, the ability of it getting too much for him. It, it, his threshold of that is too much for me is lower. And that made me wear my heart on my sleeve more. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the breakthrough. And the, oh no, uh, people A, like that. And B, it, is, it work, you know, for drama it works much better. As in, and you can't just have these kind of glacial creatures as much as, you know. It's boring because, like, you have to be like that in real life. So what's the point of the fiction? This is one of the things in RPG. I mean, I can't even talk about RPGs so much at the moment. Sorry, Tia. No, it's okay. But I think that in terms of narrative structure, in that the, the classic era is somebody would create a character and they're the, the, the cool loner. And the mm-hmm. cool loner is terrible. <laughs> You know, because like, it's like, that literally is a dead-end story. Because the entire point of cool loners in fiction is like Han Solo. Han Solo. The point of Han Solo is he's very easily talked into doing stuff. No. He, 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 he pretends for a half second not to be into it, and then he gets lured back into it. But if you actually play, if you're trying to pretend to be the cool loner, by definition, you're like an anchor. Um, and for me, like, I accidentally, in a game of Tales from Luke, created a character who was kind of deliberately antisocial and didn't want to go out, and he's a very hardcore, like, computer geek mm-hmm. and i realized that the, I, fuck, I fucked up this character's going to destroy the game because he doesn't want to play and so i made it about the day he i oh know i want to start this character i want to start a club that's it so it's the moment when this you know it's about somebody who is very antisocial trying to deal with the fact they're trying to be social and that is what stories are about it's when people stories about the fracture lines yeah exactly that makes sense also oh, Han Solo got Ooh, what? Sorry, Dead, Dead Guy Fan Club by Annie Wu. Annie Wu's just come on stage. I've got no idea what this is. It looks amazing. Yes, anything Annie Wu, I'm sold. Oh, man. I, you know, I forgot I'd worked with Annie once. It was terrible. Annie did the, I said she did the Young Avengers strip. Oh. Uh, which I, I forgot about. The reason why, because that whole issue was done when my dad was dying. So that whole thing is kind of like sort of edited out. Right. Um, but we did a Bjork strip together for the um, Femford Thal book. I had uh, that. Thank you. It's wonderful. Yeah, I, it's beautiful. I haven't, got a cop- I haven't got a copy of it yet. I need to actually, I, my copy's waiting for me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to read it all, basically. No, it's great. Actually, one of my students is doing a solo to head to a, a like a, a remix of headphones. And she's oh, like, wow. she'd never heard of Bjork before. She's very sheltered. So this has opened up a whole new world for her. I brought it in for her to look at. And she's like really into it. She's like the weirder, the better when it comes to Bjork for this kid. I love it. That's all right. I mean, I love that. It's like, it's not about you, Tia, because you're seemingly younger than I am, but I, my favourite thing about being old is that kind of like people getting to see people discover stuff. Yeah. You my, know, it's that kind of like, I don't I, know, as a critic, so like, read this, this is awesome. Well, you might like it. 
Um, no, I, I love foisting music upon my students and they just think, apparently they have like a whole chat thread about how weird my music is. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Cause then the other soloist shows Bella Lugosi's dead for her solo and she's 12. So my work here is done. I must say Tia, that sounds, I must say it doesn't sound like you, but no, no, that really, really does sound like you. <laughs> I mean, her dad showed up to our recital in a Chewbacca costume. So it was, maybe wasn't all me. This honestly sounds like a novel. Like this is this is actually a Matthew, Matthew Rosenberg. The book, we right. missed the name of this book, but this is Matthew Rosenberg, the kind of like the uh, the golf ballet teacher um, doing the thing, and the parents go. This, this is a heartwarming family movie about triumph over adversity. <laughs> I, I want to watch this. No, last year we they were Sith Lords. Uh, we did the Imperial March for their for their competition. I don't know why we're talking about me now. Um, How Star Wars. It's a conversation, not an interview. That's as true. I believe we, I believe as we foreshadowed. <laughs> okay, fair. Star Wars is fine. I say it's my favorite thing about writing Star Wars is it's the first book that um, I've done in my comics career that I generally get young people for, as in not like teenagers. So there's, you know, there's quite a lot of my books that have quite a big teenage readership. Yes, but actual like tiny humans, and it's, <laughs> uh, and it's quite you know, and it's genuinely fun in terms of like, okay, I must not swear, and I must not be too weird. No, uh, but that kind of like you know you can really genuinely connect people and it's also my uh, my nephews in law uh they are um, they're very into star wars and they're excited by the fact that i even exist right which is quite fun. uh no you have to put a little swearing in or else how are they going to learn i said i need to learn like star wars swear words like that's the thing is like... <laughs> like in a in like a wookie language or something yeah i tell you the worst thing is I, like, can you do a good wookie impression i cannot i can't that's my weakness no. it's like um I worry about my Wookiee dialogue not being good enough because I can't actually verbalize Wookiee. Did you see on the internet someone speculated that Black Kersantan is the Black Wookiee in the Han Solo footage? Uh, I imagine so. I was like, I just, I'm such a... I deliberately watch very little of the footage that leaks online. Yeah. And I try to avoid... I try to unavoid... But it's like, because I'm a, you know, a fan as well. So the stuff which I need to know is fed to me. It's the best way of putting it. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I um yeah no my my students are all obs- obsessed with Star Wars and um, in fact I was invited to one of their houses for Christmas Eve and one of them had a like well actually nerd uncle <laughs> who um, yeah he kept trying to like engage me in a who knows more about Star Wars comics conversation which was very fun <laughs> I just I, I don't get it it's like you know, it's one, of, it's one of those weird sorts of behavior that doesn't make any sense. I mean, as a as a bloke, it genuinely makes no sense to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but you're I don't you're you I, strike I, I, me I, I, as the kind of person who finds it easy to talk to pretty much anybody. Well, talk at it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but those of us who don't have that really appreciate the people who talk at us and and so to prevent us from saying dumb shit if we're left to fill the air with talking yeah. i've probably said to you this before to you but then me and jamie define our relationship because jamie doesn't really like people yes. or talking to them uh but that kind of the i'm jabba the hut and he's salacious crumb because <laughs> like, I, I, I have no memory for faces or names or places or like I basically spend my life kind of confused by existence. Um, and Jamie tells me people who Jamie is like the Gary and uh, Beep, as in he's kind of my bag man and whispers right. stuff to me. Yeah, and I do all the I, I do all the heavy lifting because he's very good. Obviously, Jamie is 
very good at faces and names, and I'm willing to do the talking. Uh, but it's like we kind of <laughs> form one almost functional human being between us. Have you ever seen this little comic strip where um, someone pets a cat with their foot and the cat looks outraged and it says, did you just pet me with your foot? And then a dog comes running from behind the corridor and goes, did I hear something about foot petting? And it just... <laughs> It reminds me of a conversation that we had where we established that you were the puppy and Jamie was the cat of yeah. the duo. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like, um, I think that is pretty true. <laughs> I think the best conversation I've ever had with Jamie was about cats. Yeah. Oh, this is this is probably over. Imagine Jamie listening to this and go, Kieran. <laughs> the kind of the thing is like, Jamie, like many good looking people, like people presume good looking people who are shy are rude. Right. So quite often, like especially like when Jamie was younger and better looking, I say pointedly, Jamie. Uh, you know, and people quite often thought <laughs> Jamie. They were, Jamie found Jamie quite standoffish, and people. And that says that's that interesting because people. That's how our insecurities work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like if somebody, if you assume that somebody must have more social standing than you due to the parents, and they treat you badly, you must presume that's because of you rather than because of them. And that's what, like, this is one of the things I think really interesting. And I, of course, don't have that because, you know, I'm not, I'm not being down on myself. I'm classically less good looking than Jamie. That's, <laughs> you know, that's just a natural, that's, you know, on social levels, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's rough because you can't just cover it up with a lot of red lipstick like I can. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I just wear a lot of black and sneer. That, yeah. like, you know. I, I got by. I got by. <laughs> I, I have a closet full of sparkly party dresses and you just like dazzle them. I actually bought, I just bought hot pink sequin socks. Yeah, that's the, good. You know, like I, I feel like I have exhausted the the sparkling party dress options. So I've moved so on I, to socks. I do like throwing on suits and my, and my shiny shoes for the week to announcements were joy. Sorry, that, the whole point of that story was not that Kieran Gillen is ugly, but that kind of like <laughs> um, how think, how people pass rudeness and like different levels of like stuff like that. Um, I find it very, especially in comic circles where everyone is like twitchy is a good way of putting it, I think. Yeah. As in people are quite often, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not naturally outgoing. You know, I'm like, uh, I always remember my dad and my dad was specifically, he was always very much like me in public, but the set, he kind of like closes, you know, there's a closing down when you get home, not in a bad way, but a kind of like, why? One of my friends who's a cartoonist and she followed, we were heading out of a bar together at a con and I got heading for the con. And of course I know a lot of people and I'm, you know, doing the hand wavy, hello, etc. Right. thing. And at second I go out, she hears me sigh hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but you know, and it mentions and that, and that kind of like kill. You know, I had no idea you were like, you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you know, that kind of like the and people don't often, when people are on, you don't often see them drop the guard. Yeah. I guess. Uh, but I, it's more that I am capable of, I'm willing of faking stuff. And it's not, this, sorry, not faking, but I'm willing to put on the performance of being, okay, how the phrases. Tia, it's the, the kind of the social equivalent of putting on red lipstick, I guess. Yeah, I, no, I, that makes you know. sense. Yeah. Um, I can do it like every three months for a weekend at a con and then I need f- three months to recover for the next one. Mm. Pretty much. It's pretty hard. I mean, it could be worse. The The big art history conference is going on right now and I'm just like, ha ha, suckers. Yeah, mine are more fun now. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I do not think of myself as a people person. I don't feel like I ever come off well in conversations like I, I just beat myself up all the time after I talk to people but I, I mean 
People. You've said many dumb things during this conversation. I was, I would be ashamed of everything. <laughs> no, exactly. Like that's that is completely it, isn't it? I, I I kind of just like keep doing it anyway and figure that people will avoid me if they get tired of me. Yeah. Which is really it's hard not- to put to like force myself into that mindset because I would rather just be Mr. Rochester's wife in the attic. Your your gothic goals are white. But this it is there and it's like I mean, I think almost everybody. I used to be in gym. Well, I remember me and Jim talking about this. I think one of the major things that keeps society together is embarrassment, more than any many other negative emotions. As in, I think about things I did like into my early teenage years. I'm, in fact, even younger. I, there's stuff I did, something I said when I was five. I'm still so shockingly embarrassed about. I oh, eat yeah. a pillow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think I'm not. I don't think that's unusual in any way. And like the idea of oh no, that was that was shameful in a way that I'm like I cannot articulate. It's funny, it's like some stuff I've said in therapy, that, that, which is much more abstractly disturbing. But like, um, but there's certain, like, in terms of very shallow, like, dumb shit you said as a kid to somebody, like, no, no, that I still don't want to, you know, ejaculate that in anyone's direction. You're like, well, I guess I can never speak to that person again, ever. That means I have to change my species and become an ant. <laughs> uh, I'm moving with the ants, and that's, that, I'm an ant now. That, that's what we do. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I guess, look, we've been talking now for like 45 minutes and you're, you, you haven't hung up on me. It's very, no, no, strange. It's like, you know, too, you're not somebody I would ever pass as being like, there's people you, especially the fact I do most of the talking on a wicked table. Like when people come to the table, you're always trying to identify how, how is this person, what are they here for, what do they want? Uh, what, how can you be the person they need, you need to be for them yeah. or they need you to be? And I like... We don't, okay, we're not like someone like, I don't know, Gerard Way, who deals with crying people, like, constantly. Right. But we have enough people who are, like, in tears that we have a kind of, a, not a drill for crying people, but, like, an awareness of, like, how we can make this easier for them and get them through and, you know, that. Like, we don't freak out when people cry. Yeah. And that kind of, like, you know, so that awareness, I'm saying the whole spectrum of, like, people are just a bit awkward and be friendly and make it cool for them. And people are genuinely having a hard time. You're not somebody I ever, ever passed as, like, socially awkward. <laughs> I'm glad you have a selective memory. <laughs> well, that's like, I also have a very... You never burst into tears when I met you. No, but I'm not really the... I'm not really a crier. I did or not cry in emotion. I Kill Giants when I when oh. I read I Kill Giants. Um, I'm kind of a monster. I don't know. You're stronger than I think. <laughs> but, I, but I did cry at the end of Agent of Asgard when Loki forgives himself and hugs himself. Uh, that's, that's pretty good actually, yes. what, else you, what else do you cry at I cry at um, We Free actually this is, you're talking about being a dog person mm-hmm. um, the bit at We Free where the uh, scientist grabs the dog and says your name is Bandit run run far <laughs> uh, and then she gets shot through but your name is Bandit run run far that, honestly I'm, I'm kind of tearing up a bit as I say that right now do you want to hear something super dumb that makes me cry that makes no sense because I literally hate everything else about it no, no, definitely. That's the best time for tears. Yeah, okay. The Waltz of the Snowflakes in the Nutcracker, the song. <laughs> makes me cry every time. It's so perfect. Like it is so, if you played that song to someone who has never heard of snow, they would know exactly what snow is. That's like one of my favorite words, which I learned around you know, like obviously numinous is an amazing word. Mm-hmm. And the idea the idea of like just like the idea oh the kind of the fear of the divine, the fear of art. And the idea of something can be so so perfect it's kind of upsetting. Yeah. You know, um, that, that gets beneath my skin. Obviously, that's in Wickdiff, and that's in all the work I do. But the idea of that, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that kind of, like, 
when art is too much, that's like, that's an interesting. I suppose t- feeling every emotion at the same time is hard to deal with. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, it's true, especially when it's like kind of going back to what we were talking about with the archetypes and and making characters younger so they can have their feelings a little more on the surface. I think that in most adult scenarios, you're expected to be very, you know, you're supposed to like keep your emotions in check. They're not really appropriate for people to know about. And I mean, you could internalize that in in ways that makes it hard to, it's where it's like either on or off, you know? Mm. It's hard. I mean, like, no, this, I'm better than I used to be at this shit, but it's certainly, um, it, it is, it's all a process. We've gone well off comics, haven't we? We did actually mention comics recently. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Tear yeah. Tear is emotional wreck podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what we talk about is how we're not very good at being human. I suspected that we would get off topic, mm. but you know, That's I did, good. I had notes. Also, because topic is it's true. This isn't an interview. We're just chatting about stuff. Just chilling. Yeah. Anyway, I'm probably going to get kicked out of my recording room in about two minutes. Yeah, so I was looking at the time too. We should, uh, do we end with a song or just... <laughs> uh, why don't we end with your favorite thing that ever made you cry? Wow. Oh my God. In two minutes. Actually, Go. Actually, this is the line I, said, I put in phonogram for Mark Allaby. Uh, oh, man, we didn't even talk about phonogram. Damn it! Literally, like the first one of the first things I said when I met Mark Ellaby, British cartoonist, I've worked with a couple of times. He's, he's amazing. He's currently mainly doing uh, Rick and Morty stuff. Um, we met at like the, pretty much the first thought bubble, and one of the first things I said to him was, "Mark Ellaby, what's the favourite time you've ever cried?" <laughs> and that kind of like, but he's like, like, he's very emo, and I put that line into um, the girl in the second episode of uh, Singles Club. As in, Mark Allenby, what's the favourite time you ever cry? Rubbing her eyes uh, softly. So, um, yeah, that was one of those bits. Like, uh, I do like the idea of like him having a top ten cry list. Yeah, he's grown now as a human, though. He d- he, d- he doesn't have a top ten cry list, only top five. Oh, I was well. I mean, you know, you you become dead inside it by increments. So, do mm. I think any time I've actually cried, my body's gone blank? This is literally. It's not the worst that happened. I I'm yeah no um. I mean, I'm not a cry. I'm I'm really not a crier. It's so, yeah. I want to tell you the funny. I, I cried. I started bursting to tears. I oh. burst into tears randomly. I have I, um, while watching. I, I came in and Chrissy was watching. I think Legally Blonde two, or uh-huh. maybe Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. And Legal Blonde lady was talking to the lady who runs the, the hair salon about yeah. just before she was about to go into the. And she's hearing a speech about something, and it's. And then I, I turned to Chrissy and I go. I'm crying. I have no idea. <laughs> Look, that's an excellent movie. Okay, no, it's great. It's a great movie. But literally, I just watched it having like out of context. It's a big speech between her and a kind of quasi mentor figure, and right. I've got tears running. I've literally walked in with a cup of tea, and I've got tears running my face instantly. It's a mess. <laughs> have you read Anne of Green Gables? I not know. Oh, you gotta get into. I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm aware of Anne. I'm aware of the Green Gables and the Ants. So I won't. Okay, then I'm not going to spoil you. Read it. That's okay. one. Okay, I think we. I think we got to wrap it up. I we think know. they're going to kick me out of here. I mean, unless you want me to just wander around the office with the with the mic, that we could do that. It's like we've done it. We should do it again with a different book and a different <gasps> image. Act. We can actually generally get together and talk about image acts, though. Okay. And, and other topics of emotional dysfunction and whatever, or like actually trying to be a functioning human being in this world. Is, Let's is figure it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll get this sorted. Okay. You know, it can't be that hard. 
<laughs> Stick with us, kids. Yeah. It's like someone's going to write and explain. I'm going to explain your issues have been demonstrated entirely in this podcast. Rhyming <laughs> typing. Anyway, so yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And do you want to give a plug to your Twitter, your podcast, anything that you want yes. our listeners Hi. to check out? My name's Kieran Gillen. <laughs> I, you can find me on the name K-I-E-R-O-N-G-I-L-L-E-N. Enter that into Google, you'll find it everywhere. I am doing various comics, none of which require a plug because they all do quite well. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I'm actually I'm editing uh, 24 uh, panels, which is basically a charity anthology in aid of trauma uh, support for the survivors of the, amongst others, the survivors of the Grenfell Tower disaster in the UK. Uh, so I'm in the position of like, there's open submissions from like people, like newcomers. I mean, I'm talking for people, and it'll be. Uh, I think it's probably October, September, October. But that, I'm putting that together at the moment, and I'm working with a group and a trauma charity. Uh, so that's kind of like the thing I'm doing at the moment. Uh, so arranging awareness of that now. So please, people, order it when it actually becomes available. That's a very serious end to uh, uh, actual uh, a fairly frivolous podcast. Oh well, we were talking about really emotional things, so I yeah. don't know. Uh, it's okay. It's all good. We're gonna figure it out. Thank you so much. Thank I... you so much, Tim. We'll see you around. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at IRCB Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Portrait of Madame X. We have a Goodreads group where we're over 300 members strong. And we have weekly threads, monthly show discussions, all kinds of stuff. Our website is ircbpodcast.com. Please rate the show, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. Infinity Shred is the best. They do all our music. Xander is also the best. He edits the show. And of course, Mike is also, also the best. He's our podcast producer extraordinaire. Thank you to them. Thank you to you. Thank you to my guests. Thank you. Thank you.